Good morning. Tim Bailey, our senior pastor, is not with us today. I believe he's in Toledo, Ohio with his brother, celebrating their first Sunday in their new church building. Now, oddly enough, in the first service, his wife was there in Toledo with him. But somehow they strapped her to a missile. That's good timing. Now, my understanding was that Mary Lee was supposed to be there with him, so I told everybody then there in the first service that she was gone. But she's here, as you can see. Would you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, please? 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Read along with me. Now concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he has not yet known as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. Therefore concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. However, not all men have this knowledge, but some, being accustomed to the idol until now, eat food as if it were sacrificed to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. But food will not commend us to God. We are neither the worse if we do not eat, nor the better if we do eat. But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you who have knowledge dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat things, sacrificed to idols? For through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined, the brother for whose sake Christ died. And so by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause my brother to to stumble. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This morning I have two things that I want to to deal with in this passage. And one is the more obvious message of the text, the plain the plain teaching of the text that's right there for everyone to see on the surface. Another one is dealing with one of the attending implications or truth statements that are in the text. And so this morning I want us to think first about the question of meat sacrificed to idols. How many of you have been in Walmart in the last couple of weeks? Okay, or Kroger? Okay, how many of you checked on the meat package before you bought it to see if this one was sacrificed to your special and preferred idol? So how do we deal with this idea of meat sacrificed to idols or 
or dining in an idol's temple. Anybody dine in an idol's temple this week? What relevance could these verses have for us today? Well, I want to tell you the truth is that any of us that eat out, even occasionally, are likely to have dined in an idol's temple or a kind of satellite location for the idols, okay? And the fact is there are statues with bowls of rice and fruit and veggies offered. You've seen them, right? In the Chinese restaurant, maybe. Okay, you've seen them. But we don't notice these, and we don't feel the twinge of our conscience because these have never really been our gods, and we've never worshipped them, so there's no withdrawal that we're suffering from them. And we're not likely to know any of the other patrons there who are now Christians, who are former worshippers of those idols, and so now are trying to quit, so we don't feel any compunction about one way or the other about going there to eat. There's no collision of our conscience because they're not our idols and they're not our brothers, right? So where do we see the collision in our conscience concerning these verses? Our idols, our idols' temples. Where are our greatest sins celebrated today in the world around us? Well, the argument that I would make that the sins of America, the sins that we most celebrate in America, have to do with fleshly indulgence of every kind, and rejection of authority. Those, I think, are the the two primary sins that we deal with in America. Fleshly indulgence of every kind and rejection of authority. And so if you look in 2 Peter chapter 2, don't turn there, I'll just read to you. It says that um, if God condemns Sodom and Gomorrah, If he rescued Lot, and I'm skipping through, if he condemned Sodom and Gomorrah, if he rescued Lot, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. God knows how to condemn Sodom. If he knows how to rescue Lot, he knows how to do this kind of work. But then it says this in verse 10, and especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority. So what we see in this, in this passage is that there is an especially kind of a sin that God is holding in reserve, right? It's like this really, really bad category of sins. Fleshly indulgence and rejection of authority. And I would maintain to you and, and propose to you this morning that these are the sins that we see around us constantly. These are the favorite sins of America. These are our favorite sins. These are, it's in these sins that our gods dwell. And these are the temples, the sins of these temples, these sins are the temples in which we dwell. So this is where we find the idols and the sins that, that are potential uh, conflictions in our consciences. Now I want to say a word before I go on of clarification because I want you to, I'm gonna, it's going to sound uh, maybe silly for me to say this, but I want you to understand something and we, we get off on the right step right from the beginning. Does the text say that it's okay to worship idols? Is that what the text says? No. There is no place in the text where we are given permission to be idolaters, Correct? It's not there. And so 
I want you to know that it's necessary for us to understand this because our tendency will be in our lives because of our hearts. Our tendency will be to say as we go on that our sin is really our liberty. Our sin is really our liberty and so try to excuse it as such and not understand it just as idolatry. Now that's not what my, my main focus is today, but I want you to understand we have to read this passage always remembering that there is idolatry and that it is unacceptable to God. So as we're reading about liberty and conscience, remember there is no liberty to be an idolater. Don't be confused and don't deceive yourselves. Where do we find these temples and idols in our culture today? Where is it that we can look? Where do we find the meat sacrifice to idols? Where do we eat in idols' temples? Um, the first place I'm going to propose to you, you're going to say, if you're not drawing the lines quickly, you're going to say, that's wacko. Okay? This isn't in order of importance. This is just for illustration. Okay? The first place I would propose to you that we eat in idols' temples or that we um, eat meat sacrificed to idols is with the Girl Scouts. I've got your attention, right? The Girl Scouts. Now, many of you know that there have been stories about the Girl Scouts' connection to Planned Parenthood. How many of you have ever heard that? Okay, you've all heard that. Now, I personally kind of doubt that that's even true. I think it's something that really was, you know, somebody was fishing hard for something there, so I kind of doubt it's really true. So let's lay that aside, and let's just say there's no connection between the Girl Scouts and Planned Parenthood. Now let me ask you something. Is there a connection between the Girl Scouts and a celebration of the rejection of authority? Do you see where I'm going now? You see where I'm going? Okay, so is there? Well, I have, a, I have an article by a feminist named Amanda Marcotte, and I'm not sure I've pronounced her name right, but she's not going to listen to the sermon, so I'm not worried. And she's talking about the history of the Boy Scouts and the Girl Scouts, and there's some interesting history that I just want to let you know about so that you'll see a, the, the, the separation between the two. The founding of the Boy Scouts in 1910 stemmed from a larger turn-of-the-century crisis in Anglo-American masculinity. Urbanization caused Americans to worry that young men were becoming soft and emasculated, effeminate. And so they started a pro program where the scouts learned skills useful to westbound adventurers and colonialist explorers. Okay? You with me? The Boy Scouts were started to teach boys in cities to be masculine, to do things that would cause them to have adventure, all right? So two years later, after the founding of the Boy Scouts, Juliet Lowe founded the Girl Scouts, which faithfully replicated Boy Scout protocols, but for girls instead of boys. While scouting for boys was about preserving the tradition of rugged, outdoorsy masculinity, scouting girls looked to the future, shucking off Victorian models of women as delicate flowers and replacing them with physically capable and adventurous women. The Boy Scouts still employ a nostalgic, I love her word there, nostalgic worldview. 
while the Girl Scouts focus more on keeping with the times. Girl Scouts pride uh, has pride in its lobbying efforts on behalf of girls, addressing 21st century concerns such as body image, bullying, and, yes, sexual health. The Boy Scouts emphasize themes such as respect for elders and church attendance. Okay? This is a feminist writing this. So, yes, the Girl Scouts could be described as feminist, but only in the most moderate sense of the term. Okay, it's telling that Christian right critics avoid dealing directly with the group's Go Girl brand of empowerment. Now, she's right on there. The Christians in the political right are avoiding dealing with the Go Girl brand of empowerment. That's because they celebrate the same rejection of authority that the feminists do. And so that's why they have to find something like a connection to Planned Parenthood because that rises too far above what's acceptable. And then they can yell at it. But generally speaking, they don't say anything about what this woman acknowledges as the, the foundation of the Girl Scouts, and that is to teach girls to be boys. That's it. There was actually an organization that was founded as a, a, a group to teach girls feminine attributes, and that was called Campfire Girls. Have you ever heard of Campfire Girls? That was actually founded. I don't know if it still exists or not, honestly. I just don't know. But times have changed, okay? So now here's my point. Idols, temples, food sacrifice to idols. Do you buy Girl Scout cookies? If you do, do you give them to me? <laughs> do you understand the connections? Our idols, our gods... Our temples, we just don't have buildings and edifices, but we do. And we have slogans, go girl! Right? We know how to worship our idols. And when we come away from our idols, we really are dealing with issues like, well, do I buy Girl Scout cookies? Have, have any of you ever thought... Do I buy Girl Scout cookies? Yeah, I see your head's nodding. All right, I'm not telling you not to. I'm not telling you to. I'm just saying realize that chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians has relevance to us today. It's real for us right now, okay? Another example. After I moved here, I said to someone, you know, I really like... Chicago-style pizza. You guys know Chicago-style pizza, right? It's the real good pizza because it's really a pizza built on top of another pizza. And you can't get too much of a good thing. So somebody said, well, there's an establishment here in Bloomington that has Chicago-style pizza, and it's, it's out of this world. But I want you to know, you might want to know that it's run by and owned by homosexuals, and they're very forward about their homosexuality. Okay? Do I buy pizza there? Does this person want me to buy pizza there? Would this person be offended if I bought pizza there? Are you getting the patterns here? You're seeing the patterns. All right. Sports. Sports. Huge, huge thing. Sports. Big coliseums and stadiums and 
we can see more prominent pictures of worship in sports than just about anything in our culture, right? We've talked about that. You've heard Tim, if you've been here any time, you've heard him preach sometimes about things he's seen in sporting, sports venues and the worship and the halftime shows, right? We have all of these things, and we have people that are in our church who are repenting of big-picture sports. And I won't tell you their names, but their initials are Jake Menzel, okay? And so big-picture sports where you just have to say, I'm turning it off. I'm just not ever going to follow. I don't know what Jake does, right? But we have people that are repenting of that idolatry of eating in that temple, of having that meat that was sacrificed to idols. And then we have little picture sports, right? Closer to home for most all of us. When I was, I've told this story before about my father when I was six to ten years old. My father was in business with another man. They raised champion uh, quarter horses, show horses. And so we raised these horses, and in order for you to, to increase the value of your horse, you had to take the horse to shows. It had to win prizes. And then when you won a prize, the horse's value would increase. The, higher, the more prizes, the more desired the horse was because people judged it. And let me tell you, it was also very crooked. There was an awful lot of behind-the-scenes bribery right, going on. But beside the point, my father became a Christian. And as I've told you before, at, at some point in my childhood, somewhere between 6 and 10, my father realized that since these horse shows were always on Sunday, his children were never in church. And so what? What did he do? He went to his partner and he said, buy me out. He took a loss and he left the horse show business. And he took his children to church. Three of us are pastors and one son-in-law is a pastor. Now, is that because my father left the horse show business? Yes. That's why. Okay? It's the sovereignty of God, and it's because my father left the horse show business. But we have this in our lives. We have our love of our children, our love of them wanting to be in sports, and our, all the programs that they can be in, bands and sports and everything that we think is important. And so we worship both our children and we worship the things that they can be in. And it's a great combination. We worship our children and we worship sports. So let's just put the two together. And so we go off and we worship. Okay? And so then we have repentance about that. And then we have to live together. And then we have consciences and issues of conscience. How about entertainment? Television? No television. Movies? No movies. Plays, no plays. Opera, no opera. Vegas, no Vegas. I want to fly to Vegas. Why? Why do I want to fly to Vegas? Not for the buffets, not for the gambling, not for the lights. I want to see the Grand Canyon. And the flights into Vegas are really cheap. Do you know what I'm flying? I'm flying Air Idol. Do you understand? Why are the flights so cheap? Because there's so many. Why are there so many? Because there's so much meat being sacrificed to the idols of Vegas. You see how entwined we are in our culture in idolatry 
It's all through us. It's completely through us. Our purchasing and our, and our consumerism and what we think is good. Don't even get me started on Ikea. That could divide our church. <laughs> there is the need to turn away from idols, and then there's the need to see that idols are nothing. And then there's the need to understand how we live in an idolatrous world without being sucked into idolatry or leading others in sins against their consciences. This is all here in the text. Now again, a word of clarification. Does the text say that it's okay to worship idols? No. Keep that in your mind, people, because we're always interested in identifying our liberty I should say our sin as liberty. We're always interested in doing that. It's just idolatry and it's not acceptable. So we have this as the general overview of the chapter of living together, of being concerned about one another, of dealing through these issues and and being faithful to our consciences and caring and loving for one another in the context of it. And then just like Tim was preaching a couple weeks ago, He was preaching about there is no God but one, which is a very primary absolute truth statement in that chapter. There are more than that. There are more than that as truth statements. And the one I want to look at this morning that ties in with what we've been saying is uh, in the context of the text is in verse 8. So let's look at verse 8. But food will not commend us to God. We are neither the worse if we do not eat, nor the better if we do eat. This is helpful and important in in helping us up to this point because it expands the point to help stave off a natural tendency in our wicked hearts. We have lots of natural tendencies in our wicked hearts, paths that we want to walk down, okay? The idea that whether we eat or do not eat causes us to believe, uh, I'm sorry, the, the idea whether we eat or don't eat causes us to believe that we are in some way commended to God. Whatever position or posture we take, somehow that commends us to God. What does that mean, to be commended to God? Well, to to be commended to God means to to stand beside or before, before, to be presented. If you're applying for a job, uh, you might have a connection with somebody in the company. And that that connection might write you a letter commending or presenting you to the person that you're going to have an interview with. So you take the letter, it's the letter of commendation. And so this is what the verse is saying. It's saying food is not a letter of commendation we can take to God. Okay? But it stands in a pla- as a placeholder for many, many things that we would take to God or try to take to God as a letter of commendation. It will not do it. I like to blaze trails. So I have a tractor and it has a loader on the front and a bush hog on the back. And I have a chainsaw. It's a steel. It's good. It's one of the good ones. And I have these things that nip branches off of trees. And I have uh, a bush hog that just mows through pretty thick stuff. And then Lawrence Howell let me borrow this thing that you you put on your bucket on the tractor and it has these nasty looking teeth and you clamp it onto a little sapling that you don't want and you lift your bucket up and it just pulls it out by the roots and as you're doing it, the tractor almost tips over. It's a lot of fun. 
I like to blaze trails. I like to do that kind of thing. I like to have a trail, and there I made that trail, and now I can mow it, and I can walk down it, and won't that be nice? But we're all trailblazers when it comes to looking for works we can do that we think will present us to God or commend us to God. We all just do it. It's just our natural thing, our natural tendency. We want to, we want to blaze these trails. And so as we process through idols and food, we immediately begin to codify our faith positions. We can eat or we can't eat. We start to codify. And as soon as we do this, we begin the simultaneous process of restraining others. Right? And then padding our resume to God. See, I'm padding my resume. I'm eating the right things. I'm not eating the right things. I'm doing the right things. I'm not doing the wrong things. Right? And so this is what we do naturally. And it's what the Pharisees did in in Matthew 15. Uh, Verse 1, then some of the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And he answered and said to them, Why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father and mother is to be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever I have that would help you, has been given to God. So what they would do is, in order to look good with other people and to pad their resume with God, the Pharisees would say, okay, my father and my mother, I'm supposed to take care of them. They have needs in their lives. They're older. They can't make a living. They can't work. There is no Social Security. I'm supposed to provide for them, but but I also want to look good in front of people. So instead, I'm going to go to my father and mother and say, you know, I can't give you that because I have to give this to God. It's a gift to God. And Jesus is looking at them and he's saying, you're wicked. You've created your own kind of system. And it's wicked. You've blazed your own trail. And it's unacceptable. He calls them liars. He says their heart is far far from him. He says they worship him in vain, and they teach his doctrines the precepts of men. And then Jesus says one of those truth statements. It's not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth. This defiles the man. And then the disciples looked at him and said one of those really funny things that they sometimes say. Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? Well, sure, they were. But we do the exact same thing. We do the exact same thing. We blaze the exact same trails. And so I've got some lists for you. These are by no means exhaustive. But you'll recognize yourself as I read, right? I recognize myself. I'll tell you what one of my favorites is. Then we'll one by one stand up and tell what what our favorite is. No. Food. Okay, is it homemade? Is it store-bought? Did it come from blooming foods? Does it have high fructose syrup? Does it have sugar? Does it have fat? Does it have salt? Does it have gluten? Does it have a low amount of the bad cholesterol? Does it have a high amount of the good cholesterol? 
I heard a guy talking recently. He said, um, he said, you know, we didn't have all these troubles years ago. We didn't, we didn't have cholesterol back then. And if we'd have had it, we'd have fried it. <laughs> Is it nut-free? Is it high in fiber? Is it high in antioxidants? Does it have high omega-3s? Is there no meat? Is it all meat? Is it white meat? Is it fish meat? Is it margarine? Is it butter? My favorite, is it cherry juice? I'm all for the cherry juice cure, right? I just like the taste of cherries, actually. It gives me an excuse. How about this? You've got a choice of a pink, a blue, a yellow, or no artificial sweetener packet. Which one do you condemn? And which one do you endorse? Or are they all equally as bad for laboratory animals? The list goes on and on and on, doesn't it? And we blaze trails. How about drink? Well, yes, I do. Well, no, I don't. Eight ounces of, eight eight-ounce glasses of water a day. No soda. How about housekeeping? Well, yes, I do. Well, no, I don't. Looks good to me. I think we need to go over this one more time with bleach, don't you? How about dress? Formal, informal, the latest styles, Amish? How about music? Classical, modern, early? How about education? Classical, modern, early? How about our reform presentation? Now, this is for the guys who go to the men's retreat. And I'm, I'm at the men's retreat, and I'm always watching the fire circle at the retreat, right? And I'm always, you, I'm sorry, men, but I kind of sit back and think, and just kind of chuckle. A lot of times I'm just chuckling. Because you have reformed macho, right? And so you've got reformed macho, and so you've got a, a cigar, a pipe, some chew, some beer, some pep, uh, some, uh, a, a knife, and a pistol, and, and a John Calvin t-shirt. <laughs> and you're reformed macho. And you know, there is a reformed demure, right, for the ladies. And it's a cigar, a pipe, <laughs> pepper spray, John Calvin t-shirt. No, there's a reformed demure. You ladies know all about what your, your little internal tell signs are, right? You do. These do not commend us to God. No, they do not commend us to God. Do they commend us to God? No. Sometimes we need to, to go over our resumes and get rid of the worthless filler. You know, served as a float driver in Ellettsville's Thanksgiving Day Parade, 2008-2010. Or Cutter's Junior League Scorekeeper, Fall 2001 to Summer 2005. You know, your, your next uh, corporate interviewer is going to really care about that. 
But think about what we would present as our commendations to God. It's time to get rid of the worthless stuff. God doesn't care if you only take all natural vitamins. He doesn't care. At the foundation of our lives, we must be in Christ. What is pleasing in God's sight? What commends us to God? That we are in Christ, in His Son. As we come to God, we're lines on Christ, and He's the resume. Do you understand? We are in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 14, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they, would, they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. We don't recognize anyone according to the flesh. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. And so what goes to God with us? It's not meat. It's not food. It's not those kinds of particular preferences that we have according to the abilities of our conscience. We go to God in Christ in faith. It says in Hebrews 11.6, Without faith it's impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Well, he who comes to God. Here we are, presented to God in faith, believing that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him in Christ. We come to God in Christ with humility. James 4, verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. We go to God in humility, confessing our sin, calling out to him for mercy, confessing that we have, we have no deserving of his love and care and kindness because we're wicked. And God says, yes, <laughs> there is that, that is in Christ's humility. I will lift that to myself. You see? We go to God in Christ with service. James 1, 27, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. We go to God in Christ with renewal. Romans 12, 1 and 2, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present 
This is the exact same word that's used in 1 Corinthians 8, verse 8. Food will not commend us to God. We are supposed to commend our bodies, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. We're to go to God in Christ in obedience. 1 John 3, 21-24. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God in whatever we ask we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do the things that are pleasing in His sight. This is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as He commanded us. The one who keeps His commandments abides in Him, and He in Him. We know that by this, that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. The scripture is full of things that we're told bring us to God, commend us to God, go with us to God. But our trailblazing, wacko food and activity resume, God doesn't care about it. And so, for the sake of our own souls, for the sake of our relationship to one another and loving one another, let's get rid of them. Let's just get rid of them. And let's live with love and preference for one another, bearing one another's burdens and caring for one another. But search for yourself. Search God's word for yourself and find these places in it. Let's pray.